Welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are four girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations, and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand, especially with this episode. <laughs> I'm Katie. I'm Emily. I'm Kinsey. And I'm Abby, and with that, let's talk about some stuff. Yay. All right, so we're just going to jump right in. Like we said um, in our last episode, we are going to skip all the fun little newses, at least um, this time around. And then... uh, I mean, can we just say that they did catch the guy that was doing all the stuff at the Dallas They did. They did. was very happy news. Very happy news. That's all we're going to say about it. Go look it up, but... We'll talk more about it in our next news up. I'm sure we will. Yes. All right. So this episode, uh, we thought it might be fitting around Valentine's Day uh, to do an episode about monogamy in the animal kingdom. And towards the end of this episode, I'm going to get to go on a lovely little tirade because (laughs) it drives me bananas. But that's all right. So let's get into it. What is monogamy? Uh, Monogamy is defined as a pair bond between two adult animals of the same species. So this pair may live in the same area or territory for any duration of time. And in some cases, they may get together and have babies with only each other. Um, Monogamy can either be short term or it can last a few seasons or it can be longer than that. Forever. Uh, monogamy can be partitioned into two categories social monogamy and genetic monogamy which may occur together in some combination or independently so it just gets a little complicated but that's all right we're gonna figure it out together (laughs) for example we'll get there uh, in certain cichlid species cichlids are fish for those of you who don't know uh they will have a monogamous pair and that pair will care for eggs and the babies but all of those eggs may not be from the dad who's taking care of them. Scandalous. Scandalous indeed. Uh, monogamy only occurs in about 3 to 9% of mammals. Uh, it does uh, occur in upwards of 90% of bird species, which is news to me as I'm reading this, but alas. And the note here says social monogamy, not so much genetic monogamy. We'll get monogamy. to it. Yeah, I can, I can give you all one guess on who's going to talk about the birds today. Listen, uh, I got to pick... <laughs> I'm going to pick my faves. Of course you will. Uh, And then (laughs) monogamy is very rare among fish and amphibians, but not completely unheard of. So why do some animals practice monogamy? The offspring will benefit from the protection of both parents uh, and both parents playing a large role in taking care of those offspring is probably going to produce better. uh, What's the word? What's better chance of survival. That's it. You <laughs> took the words right out of my brain because they were not over here. That's for sure. Um, and then the populations are small and dispersed where it would not be effective for them to search for multiple mates. So they're like, hey, you're in my spot. We're together. <laughs> we Let's might as well, you know, <laughs> do the Let's thing. get it on. Exactly. All right, Abby, go ahead. Take it away. Teach us about birds practicing monogamy. Well, we're going to talk about other stuff too, but. I feel like birds are what everyone thinks of when talk about monogamy. I think it's seahorses. I don't know about you. That'll last. Okay, fine. When <laughs> I think of monogamy, I think about birds. Um, one animal 
that we talk about are sandhill cranes. Who here has heard of a sandhill crane? I have two that live on the street that I chased out of the street and then they promptly turned around and walked back into the street. I was just going to say I break for sandhill cranes. I need that bumper sticker. I actually really also want that bumper sticker very badly. I will get on that having the already far beast. For uh, those that don't live in Florida, this is a giant bird that likes to roam the streets. They are huge. They are truly like three to four feet tall. They make super loud noises. It is a dinosaur. They, yeah, absolutely. They're very pretty. They got a red hat. They're beautiful. They're beautiful birds. They are. And their babies are very silly looking. Their babies are so cute. So fluffy. (laughs) And they are not whooping cranes. It is not the same thing. If I saw one of those in Florida, I would have to pull over. (laughs) Because that's, spoiler alert, those are endangered. But anyway. (laughs) Uh, the loud calls are what I know it for. I have no way to imitate it, but it is crazy loud. Um, and they're also known to be monogamous, mating for life. Um, however, studies show that sandhill cranes will go through divorce. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Rough. Who gets the kids? So, well, <laughs> I, I think they're kind of kicked out at that point. But um, what, they, what I saw on one of the, I don't remember what the website was. But they said that for the first chick that they have as a pair, they use biparental care, which means both parents are taking care of the baby. And at that time, they kind of evaluate their behavioral compatibility, like how well they raise together, literally like kind of like what humans do. Um, And if they're not really compatible, then they can get divorced. If a sandhill crane dies, they can also get a new partner. They Um, can be widowed. They can be widowed. Um, but they, they will have... usually get another partner. Yeah, unless they're, like, super old and it's like, well, is it worth it? Um, but sandhill cranes have what's called perennial monogamy, which means they stay together throughout all the seasons of the year, not just for a single breeding season. So a lot of birds have seasonal monogamy. So, like, puffins are a good example. Puffins will be together for a breeding season they'll be monogamous for the breeding season and then after that they're like see you later i'll probably never see you again that's fine bye um which a lot of things do but it, okay i have a question okay. i have a a scientist question <laughs> if <sighs> I, don't under, <laughs> I don't understand so i'm gonna sound so stupid trying to figure this out <laughs> if and, and okay, let's take Puffin A and Puffin B. We have Puffin Joe and Puffin Emily, let's say. Um, I like how you called him Joe and not David, and your husband is David. <laughs> David knows that I would also be monogamous with Joe Jonas. I mean, that's not wrong. <laughs> so, okay, Puffin Joe and Puffin Emily meet each other, and they're like, wow, you are a great Puffin. Let's have a baby Puffling together, okay? A Puffling. So they have Sorry. this baby Puffling. Life goes on, okay? Breeding season's over. They're going different places. Puff and Joe goes off into the world. Goes back off into the world. Now, next season, say Puff and Emily meets Puff and David, okay? Mm-hmm. And now she's like, wow, this is a great Puffin. Let's have a Puffling together. And Puff and Joe meets Puff and Sophie, and they have a Puffling together. <laughs> okay, how is that monogamy? Because Yeah, I don't get it either, man. I'm I with you. They're not monogamous. Here's- picking new partners every season now yes puff and emily did not meet puff and joe and puff and david in the same season but so, like so in your definition here's here's my scientific answer 
It's defined as a pair bond between two adult animals of the same species. This may pa this pair pair may cohabit for for an area or territory for some duration of time. Right, but that could be an hour, a day, a week, a year. Um, you know, I think because at least for birds, because they have that set breeding season, like they're not going to breed before this, they're not going to breed after this. If they do, that's an anomaly. Because they're not. So are we saying that they're monogamous because the men are not mating with multiple females? Yes, that's kind of what it seems like to me. This is a patriarchy thing a little bit. Um, but that's kind of what it sounds like because it's rare. And I'll get to this later when we're talking about albatross. But it's it's rare for females to go off and, like, be promiscuous. It's mostly a male thing. Okay, so we're saying they're monogamous because the the males are only choosing one mate per season. Yes. yes. Okay. Because like plenty that. of other animals just uh, do it with right. everybody right. every breeding right. season. And, lubber uh, grasshoppers. Like whales. Like whales or lubber grasshoppers. Okay. I just am scarred for life by lubber grasshoppers. So that's the example I think of. Okay. I feel more more uh, confident in my understanding. Of this <laughs> I, think, I think it's just that when monogamy is defined, we put it in such a human con context. Right. That like it's, it's hard for us to think of monogamy in any other way than getting married, staying with that person, theoretically, their, your entire life right. um, without any kind of straying. But in the animal world, that is maybe not the best strategy. So, of course, it doesn't make any sense. And I would wonder if before humans or, like, uh, ancestors of humans had some sort of society where they weren't just monogamous. And that was right. later that happened to develop socially because of the intelligence. I see. Curious. So I think you have to kind of... You know how everything in science is like squishy. This is just squishy. <laughs> squishy. It's squishy. It squishy because they're squishing. Wow. wow. <laughs> Immediately the PG thirteen rating goes out the window. Hey, squish is a perfectly PG thirteen word. Uh, can you talk about prairie voles? <laughs> yeah. So I think this actually might answer some of that question. So what I learned in researching monogamy in the animal kingdom is that prairie voles are crazy. <laughs> crazy little guys. They're uh, native to North America. They're cute little mammals found in the Midwest. And best. Midwest is best. <laughs> Some people would say, sure. Uh, but during mating season, prairie voles take up individual territories and they defend them from other voles. Uh, so basically, outside of mating season, the prairie voles all just live together. They're all like hanging out, doing whatever everyone's communal living and then come breeding season they're like oh my god you better pair up you better find a spot and you better defend it with your life um and they will form that pair bond that abby was talking about for that breeding season they'll share a nest and they will raise their young together um but the thing about prairie voles is they are very similar to like field mice to like you know, they're tiny, small little mammal, which means that they have been used in research a lot, mainly in looking at the hormones related to this pair bond that forms between prairie voles. So they've been used in a lot of studies to try and figure out, like, what is the science behind love? Like, why do they form such a strong connection? What are the hormones that are in play? Um, and they found that, like, if... In certain cases, there's a male prairie vole. He has 
pair bonded with another a female um if another female comes into the picture like he will get aggressive towards her and be like no you get out of here no i don't even if she's like hey what's up like let's let's be friends he's like absolutely not you know it gets a little gets a little messy so i just thought that was kind of funny that they are hard hardwired in such a way that they're they almost go to aggression if they're faced with another potential mate but they already have one get out of here with that baloney um but ew okay sorry (laughs) there was one other point i was gonna make with these with these little guys and i don't remember what it was meh they live together outside of mating season well yeah well once (laughs) once mating season's over they're like anyways (laughs) Maybe see you again, maybe not. Um, oh, the other large factor of it, because um, there were a couple of different species, yeah, you know, like similar species to prairie voles that live in the Midwest that live in similar sorts of environments, but they're not monogamous. So that was another question that was posed was why is this little guy monogamous? Why do they form a pair bond and only have one mate for the season? Whereas other rodents are just going at it willy-nilly with everybody and they found that a major driving force was the habitat that they were living in so prairie voles tend to live in um, their groups are more scattered the uh, food sources are not as available um, where they're found Uh, so it's just a tougher survival existence which means you better have both parents looking out for those babies and supplying food for each other and their babies and if you want any of them to survive. Whereas other species can just kind of do whatever the heck they want because they have a more abundant food source. More of that species is available to mate with um, and just present in general. So that does play a huge part in whether or not you're going to see this sort of uh, sexual behavior, which I just think is fascinating. Evolution, baby daddy i was gonna say it i was waiting (laughs) we love him you hate him we really need to get t-shirts with that eventually (laughs) we should have done for emily's bachelorette party there you go yeah so that's prairie voles for you i feel like they were just an animal that i kept seeing pop up that uh i don't feel like is talked about when it comes to monogamy so go prairie voles you guys are pretty cute yeah, the second yeah. picture result is them having sex. Hey, <laughs> they know what they're known for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. What's next? We got vultures, I think, right, Kenzie? Yes, yes, we do. And we love a good vulture, obviously. Yeah, it's true. We love vultures so much. Yes. Uh, so there's lots of different types of vultures, but for the sakes of this episode, we're just focusing on one. You all have probably seen them. The black vulture. You need to look up what their babies look like. They're so stinking cute. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, these guys are native to the woods of the southeast here in North America. And you'll often find these birds, of course, on the sides of the highway, usually feasting on the latest roadkill or circling up in the skies above. Looking for the latest roadkill. (laughs) (laughs) Fresh and no delivery needed. (laughs) Comes right to you. All right. Well, um, fun fact, though, a group of flying vultures are actually called a kettle. Uh, I remember it because they look like steam coming in a circle. 
I'm always <gasps> accidentally call it a cauldron. I get it mixed up, but a cauldron is something different. Cauldron or bats. Yeah. Yes. But like uh, similar reason. Yes. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, but anyways. Do you guys know what a group of ferrets is called? A noodle? A spaghetti. Chaos. <laughs> They're called a business. No. And there was, I read this story of a woman who went to the vet with her ferret um, to get a checkup and the vet like puts on the little bag on the table, opens it up and not one, but two little ferrets pop out. And the vet was like, Oh, I didn't know you brought the, your like other, uh, or you had two ferrets. And then the woman goes, yes, I own a small business. <laughs> Katie. I hate that. But, um, tss. I love that so get much. Get out. <laughs> ah, boo. Wait, Anyways, just- back to uh, vultures. Well, now I'm imagining ferrets with like little suits and ties and the I little, little pieces. I am scarred by what ferret poop smells like from like a roast ferret. Ferret, so I I can't like them. I'm sorry. That's yeah, fair. They're stinky little guys, they're but they sure smelly. are cute. Well, you know who's not stinky? <laughs> Is it vultures? <laughs> Yeah, he's also alive. Incredible segue. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to get back on track. You're doing great, Vinny. So, anyways, the way I like to remember black vultures is that think of them as the goth cousins to the turkey vulture, because as previously stated, these birds are all in black from their wrinkly little bald heads all the way down to their tail feathers. The only exception to their monochromatic wardrobe would be the bit of white on the underside of their wings. So, essentially, they are a black dirt nap chicken, and you find them on the side of the road, and they're great. The audacity. (laughs) Ma'am. They're beautiful. So, despite their reputation for being considered uh, dirty scavengers, which, first off, rude. Second, uh, they help to curtail spreading of diseases by feeding on animal remains. Well, did you know that the black vultures can also be the romantics? Just kidding. That is anthropomorphization. But as we discussed earlier, uh, these guys are considered to be monogamous. They are known to pair for life, with both parents responsible for rearing their young. Now, if one member of the vulture pair dies, as previously discussed, like in other species, uh, the remaining vulture will likely go off and find another vulture to pair with and raise a family with. But there have actually been studies where, just like sandhill cranes, they've noticed, hey, these vulture couples decide to get a divorce and not necessarily for any discernible reason known to researchers, but it does happen. So again, monogamy is kind of a fluid concept. (laughs) Sometimes it's just not meant to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's black vultures. That's all I got on that. (laughs) I love it. I mean, they're pretty good, but I feel like no bird is more known for monogamy than an albatross. Every Valentine's Day, it's like, look at the albatross, they love each other forever. Oh, I thought it was, look at the cockroaches that we can name our exes after. No, that's very mm-hmm. good, but I said bird and cockroaches are decidedly not a bird. Yeah, but a lot of birds do eat them. That's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> do that, because that's funny. But albatrosses are what we call socially monogamous, which we kind of talked about earlier today, but it means they remain committed to one partner for life but they will absolutely get it on with other albatrosses. So it's more like socially I'm committed, but when no one's home, I mean, <laughs> <never>. <laughs> I 
It's called extra pair copulations. They mate with other birds while maintaining their social life bond with their partner. So going back to what Emily talked about with birds earlier, 92% of birds are socially monogamous. So when they say monogamous, it means socially. Um, it's al actually almost 100% in seabirds, which is interesting. But almost every single species does have extra pair population. I just abbreviate EPC to make it easier for myself. So EPC does not usually lead to chicks. It only occurs like 14 to 24% of the time. Uh, when that happens, it's called extra pair paternity because now there's responsibility involved. Mm. Um, but EPC is more commonly used by male birds, uh, which makes sense because a male just spread out all of its DNA as far as it can, right? That's mm -hmm. a good strategy if you're talking about just purely getting your stuff out there. I almost said something way dirtier. Sorry. Um, and it's females will once in a while they get they're like i guess i'll try it and they do some epc as well but it's not very common but despite this albatross do maintain a lifelong social monogamy um, while a lot of other species only really show seasonal monogamy so i think it's still kind of cool and wisdom the albatross who is on what 70 80 years old has had the same partner but i think the last couple of years they haven't really found her partner but oh, she hasn't paired up with no. anybody else but she didn't pair up with anybody else, which is, you know, if she did, good for her. And if not, good for her. Make your own choices, babe. We love you. <laughs> so. So I have a silly question. Yeah. So does this mean when we're talking about the monogamy where they are socially with their partner, but they will still go out and copulate with others? Does this mean they're in open relationships? <laughs> I mean, if you want to anthropomorphize it, sure. But actually, <laughs> yes. But yeah, like kind of. So it's like a, it's a normal thing because genetically monogamous would mean that you can genetically see. The they're only mating with one other. They're only mating yeah. with one other. Well, I almost said one other human. Don't do that. They're only mating with one other member of their species. So. Yeah, I guess you could, I guess the equivalent would be open relationship in humans, but again, anthropomorphize-y. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll keep going. Talk about siamings, Katie, because we know you how much you love siamings. Heck yes. Yeah. You know I do love a siming. Um, siamings, and I've talked about them extensively in the past, um, Exhibit <laughs> A, Episode 1, but <laughs> siamings are known to be, and the gibbons in general, so gibbons are part of the group of lesser apes, uh, are known to be the primate that does practice monogamy or does uh, only mate with one other individual. However, there's always exceptions to that rule. And truthfully, they don't really just like, you know, it's not uncommon for Siamings to mate with other individuals outside of their pair bonds. Um, it's not uncommon to have multi uh, male groups that where polyandrous mating occurs, which kind of means they'll go off and have a thing with a female and they'll go off and have a thing with another female and go back to their multi male group, like, or they share the same mate, whatever. It's all cool. Um, however, the thing with Simings is the, they are always characterized like with monogamy because in a lot of cases you do see that where, um, males and females will pair up and defend a territory together and generally have like 
around six other immature individuals in the group with them or family members. They're young. Um, the way that they like the way that they establish this territory and establish their mate, I think is what gets them so popular is because they sing, they sing romantic Aww. love songs with each other, except they don't sound like that. They sound like, I don't, I don't even know okay, how to describe okay. it. Should I do my best? Oh, please. I want to hear this. <laughs> I, my given is better. Do you have a vocal sack? Are you, are you blowing it up right now? <laughs> <laughs> do not indeed have a vocal sack. Um, oh gosh. I'm trying to think. What a Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I wish Tyler was here. My husband has a orangutan impression. He does. This is true. We've all it heard it. It shouldn't be so accurate. It kind of freaks me out. So, and this always was something that cracked me up is people, you know, in a zoo setting. Some obnoxious people love to to yell at the animals or call at them or try to get them to look at them, whatever. So people would always do that to the Simings where I used to work. And I'd go over and I'd be like, oh, like, do you have a vocal sack? Uh, can you make that noise? <laughs> I would literally, I'm not even kidding. That's what I would start on. And they would look at me like, what? And then, and then I'd be like, ha, I'm going to educate you about Simings now because I've confused you enough that you're fully paying attention to me. Oh and you gosh. stopped yelling at them. So it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, but Simings have this really cool uh, vocal sack that they can pretty much inflate. It's at, it's on their throat. Um, and it's what um, amplifies the vocalizations that they make so that their calls can be heard from miles away. Um, because when they do this call, they're basically letting other Simings know this is, this is me and my wife's territory. Um no, I'm just kidding. And that's how they let them know this is where we live. This is where my family is. Where is your family at? And they will answer back with a, their territory call. They're basically keeping tabs on all their neighbors. Um, like, oh, the Johnsons kind of moved over a tree there. We should should make note of that. But uh, the cool thing about these calls is they're referred to, of course, as duetting. But they newly formed pairs of Simings will spend more time singing than an established pair, which I just think is kind of funny. Like, yeah, we're figuring it out. We're practicing our songs. We're getting there, but older pairs are like, yeah, no, we, we've got this. We've nailed down our duet. So it's very concise. I feel like um, if you first start dating and like, you know, like you kind of like make out more when you're first date because you're like trying to figure more out. public displays of affection. Yeah, a lot more. And then you get older and get married like us old ladies over here and we're like, I mean we hold hands sometimes. We still have fun, but it's just like we just gotta figure it out at this point. Like we don't need to try to figure out what's happening now. Well and part of the reason that Simings do this is advertising the presence of a strong bond is advantageous in their territorial defense. They're basically putting on a strong front and being like, We are united and we are strong. So don't mess with us. Um, and that helps to defend their territory. Uh Siming duets differ from other gibbon species because they have that more complex vocal sac and that ability to vocalize louder but other gibbon species will do it as well um one cool little fact that i will say to end with the simings is that male simings exhibit more infant care for their offspring than do any other gibbon species 
uh, they actually take over the majority of infant care during the infant's second year of life. And another really, really cool thing about Symings is they uh, do not establish dominance over one another. Uh, they are co-dominant. So they do not, they're, one is not more, you know, I guess not important, but in charge over the other or makes the decisions. They do it as a unit, which I just think is so cool because that's just something you do not see in primates. Um, but I got to love it. Got to love them. Lesser apes don't get enough love. I love the great apes, you know, gorillas, orangs, chimps, but got to love those lesser apes too. I will say my given impression is much better than my impression. Gibbons, yeah, because they're a little less complex, absolutely. That was really good. I'm impressed. If I could do it at the zoo, I would love to see the respond, but I know that's bad, so I don't do it. So I so I don't do it. I want to every time, but I'm like, yeah. No, hey, I respect that. Thanks. It's give like it's not just Simings. Gibbons in general exhibit a lack of dominance over one another. Just to just to put it out there. Angels. They are, and I love them so much. All right. You guys want to hear something crazy? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's talk about beavers because apparently, <laughs> apparently, beavers are monogamous. But um, only in one place, right? No. So strange. What? So there are European beavers and there are American beavers. And both of them are very similar, okay? They both make dams. They, you know, chew on wood. They, <laughs> they both, you know, do the beaver thing. Literally, okay? So, <laughs> however, so I guess European beavers were hunted nearly to extinction, okay? Um, they're making a comeback, which is great. That's great. Um, and apparently the American ones are not monogamous. They are promiscuous. They are just getting it on with everybody trying to you know make a lot of baby little beavers okay great that's fine because have you seen a baby beaver they're very cute very good i got to meet a beaver once her name was peanut and she was the sweetest angel oh, i've ever met peanut. she was very sweet very sweet very sweet okay so anyway in europe the beavers there there are not that many of them like i said they were hunted nearly to extinction so they're coming back and they are primarily monogamous uh scientists think that this is because uh, a, there aren't very many of them. So if they find one, they're like, you're my, you're my person. Okay. You're my, you're my beaver friend. <laughs> um, but they also think because they're only mating with one uh, other beaver, they're lowering their risk of parasite transmission, um, which is a like measure of fitness, uh, which is very interesting. And basically they think it's working because their, their population is growing actively. So even though they're not promiscuous, they're still, uh, actively growing their population, which I just think is wild. It's crazy. That is really crazy. Mm -hmm. Just how, again, environmental factors can uh, affect sexual behavior. That's what I'm saying. All right. Now, now let's really get into it. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay. In, everyone. We have, we have explained a few times this concept of monogamy in ways that I still don't quite understand. Uh, however, have you ever worked in an aquarium? Because yes, anytime yeah. anybody sees a freaking seahorse or a freaking penguin, they're like, oh my God, they're so cute. And if there's like two seahorses like touching tails, oh my God, they're, they're in love. They're bonded, they're in love, they're living for life. First of all, first of all, 
if you are in an aquarium setting, most of the time, now this is not always true, but most of the time that aquarium is only keeping one gender of seahorse out at a time. Because if those seahorses are happy, they're going to want to make tons of babies. You know what a baby seahorse looks like? A snack. Tiny. It looks like a snack. <laughs> so, I was gonna a tiny detritus. A very that was tiny mean. snack. It looks like a brine shrimp, okay? That is what seahorses eat. So, <laughs> if they were making lots and lots of babies, then they still would not be very successful uh, unless they were removing those babies and putting them in another environment, okay? Now, secondly, we've talked a lot about how pairs can be monogamous for a season, okay? That right. is especially true with these two, penguins and seahorses. Okay, now imagine you're a penguin, all right? We're going to go back to, the, we're going to, we're going to use our puffin example, but now we're penguins, okay? Much worse. Um, <laughs> let's say that now we have penguin Emily, okay? And we have penguin Joe, okay? They meet, they have a little baby penguin, great, okay? Well, now they separate because baby time is over. Penguin Joe goes off and Penguin Emily goes off into the world. Well, Penguin Joe gets eaten by a killer whale, okay? Oh. He's gone. Game over. Penguin Emily Penguin comes back. Joe. She looks around. She says, I can't find Penguin Joe. And so you know what? She says, hey, you, Penguin David. <laughs> You'll let's do. Let's roll. And so on and so forth. Well, now next season, Penguin David, he got eaten by a killer whale. Oh, oh David. rough. Oh, Penguin Emily shows up hey, again. Happens. She's like, all right, round three. Here we go. Who do we got? Okay, let's see. Penguin Harry. Great. <laughs> this is how this works, okay? They are monogamous as long as it is convenient and both partners are alive, okay? The animal world is a rough place, okay? Now, let's say we'll go back to year one. Penguin Emily and Penguin Joe separate, and they come back, and Penguin Emily gets lost, okay? She, she just can't find Penguin Joe because there's 30 billion penguins all over. And she's like, not a surprise we all look the same. She gets I, lost can't, very frequently. I can't hear my buddy. So she's like, oh, hey, that penguin over there looks nice and doesn't have a buddy yet. It is monogamy of convenience, okay? <laughs> uh, I will say, do you, would you say that penguins that are living in zoos tend to pair up with the same penguin? more often than wild counterparts based on the circumstantial evidence of working in a few places with penguins i'll say yes but in the real world but that's because they're in yeah exactly it's, it's convenient that's yes what she's, that's what she was saying. Convenient. It's, it's like hey you know what we did make an egg last year and, and it uh, turned out okay so yeah. And what they don't know is the egg that they made was taken away and then replaced by a rock, but they're like, still good. <laughs> That's correct. Our uh, child is perfect. The, Look at him. He never moves. He's The great. moral of this story that I'm trying to get to is that, yes, some species do practice monogamy, okay? But certainly not in the way that we think of it. And certainly not to the lengths that we think of it, Okay. I just, it kills me. Emily just wants you all to know that and understand that, please. I need you all to understand that this is not, this is not two seahorses see each other in the Great Great Barrier Reef. And they're like, wow, we will remain together for the rest of our three-year lives. love. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. So the next time you go to an aquarium and you see a penguin or you see a seahorse, please keep your... Thoughts about monogamy 
to yourself. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to appear through the wall and scream. <laughs> Emily, I'm crying. As you should be. That's I love how I feel. it. This is great. Happy this Valentine's been, Day, everyone. This has been <laughs> Love is Real with Emily. All right. Oh. Let's, let's wrap it up. Kenzie, what have you got? Okay, well, I don't know how to lead after that. That was pretty good. But anyways, as always, uh, we do end with a conservation conversation. So got two things for you. Learn more about the different courtship of animals and see what examples of animal relationships you can find this Valentine's Day. <laughs> Want to shout out some honorable mentions of other quote unquote monogamous couples. Quote unquote. <laughs> Uh, blue-footed boobies, and of course, Heck yes! Blondes. yes, Abby, I thought you would be happy with that mention. Also, side note, and I cannot find it, but a while back there was this amazing video where contemporary dancers actually would dance out different courting rituals and dances. Oh, um, incredible. Oh, did you not see me at the Halloween party? I was absolutely doing my version of the blue-footed booby dance all over. Yes, with the little wiggle foot. I love that. And uh, this has already been mentioned earlier in this episode, Katie Abby. Uh, some AZA zoos are holding special Valentine-themed fundraiser events, like my home zoo, the San Antonio Zoo. That's where I got started in Texas. Uh, you get to name a roach after your ex and then watch it to be fed to one of the zoo's animals. Brilliant. A worthy investment. Truly. Um, Kenzie, I just Googled this because I was curious, but I, I googled, are there any monogamous bats? Apparently there are. Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. That's, that's real cute. There is an estimated 18 species of bats which are monogamous. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, as monogamous as I guess we're saying I monogamy is. Conveniently <laughs> monogamous. I want you all to know that the uh, the what's the word? Title of this episode is going to be monogamy in quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> As it should. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah well um so with that that's a conservation conversation do we have any special announcements we want to make happy valentine's so. day yeah happy, yeah, valentine's, happy day. valentine's day uh if you aren't following us already on social media you can go ahead and do that our patreon is still up and active if you want to become a beluga babe a um babe. Yeah. those are the major announcements <laughs> cool yeah. Cool. And as always, yeah. <laughs> as always, thank you so much for joining us this week. Now go out there and stay sustainable. Bye. 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 <laughs>